live here in Toronto. I was a, uh, my background in music, I started in a band, uh, then I started an independent record company. From that, we got picked up by Universal, and then I was hired by Universal to do uh, their publishing department and A&R for the record company. Uh, and from that, I went to a company called Grayson Matthews, now known as Grayson Music. So we do uh, original music for advertising. And I did all the music sync and licensing for a bunch of different TV shows during that time. And then from that, we've started a company called Create Signal, which is uh, our studio downtown, which some of you may have been at. I'm trying to look around the room. Uh, where we have about 15,000 square feet in different studios and writing rooms. And we have a big creative community where we sort of do, um, you know, obviously a lot of commercial and TV sessions, but also artist work and some education stuff too. That's it. Dope, 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 dope. Awesome. And then uh, just say a little one too. Yep. Uh, my name is Jazz Chris. Nice meeting you before as well. Um, we, I come from a background of uh, being a, first of all, a sound engineer. I was just helping out Boy Wonder and Team Honest over the years while they were crafting their records. As a sound designer, I uh, picked up a lot of stuff from production. Uh, and then I decided after my contract with Boy Wonder, being signed to him as a, as a music producer, a songwriter myself, step into the world myself. Uh, last couple of years, worked with uh, T.I., Rick Ross, Young Thug, Drake. And then after probably about 2017, I just got tired of chasing the placement, chasing like 700 beats for one album, working six months at a time, getting such a low return from it back. I decided to pursue uh, TV and film, which I've always loved. I got the opportunity to work with Jeremy Summers over at uh, Fox. And since then, I've just never looked back. It's just I'm meeting different supervisors, meeting different people and just being able to fulfill uh, the dream of instead of having 7,500 beats set on my hard drive, actually have some full songs, hit the big screen, hit the TV shows, and actually being her, because again, I got into music production to create and to showcase, not to create and be a hoarder, and one day be on the episode of Hoarders of the guy that has tetrabytes of uh, beats for no reason on his hard drive and nobody knows. I love that. So you worked with Jeremy Summers. He's my old partner at uh, Universal. He did all the marketing there when I was there. No way. So yeah, he told me from back in the day, he was working with uh, Down With Webster, I think, DWW. Yeah. Yeah, so I signed them, and he was the oh, marketing. There guy. you go. Yeah, and then eventually he uh, he became their manager after uh, after a while. Yes, yes. So you know what happened? So my first little trick, we can get right into this. I emailed Jeremy right after my Drake placement, but I emailed him week one, and every Friday I would just keep emailing him. It got to like 17, 18 weeks later, and he finally jumps on the last email, like, "Oh shit, yeah, I forgot to hit you back. What's going on?" He never hit me back, so I just took full advantage. I'm like that's right you did hey i'm blah, blah 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 let me know if you need music and that's how that whole trickery even started <laughs> that's good yeah it's a funny thing it's like the, the constant emails to the music supervisors from a composer standpoint it can work mm -hmm. or you have to be very careful not to flood their inbox and have the wrong information for the wrong person and constantly be barking up the wrong tree of course yeah i just got lucky because <laughs> it was just an intro email so it said jeremy summers times jazz and so he must have just read like, oh, shit, yeah, I must have met this guy. Yeah, let's go. And all the email was, hey, let me know whenever you're free to talk. I'm available. And every one or two weeks afterwards, I would just be like, hey, you let me know. I know you're a busy guy. Let me know. He must have just finally write and go, okay, I'm going to let you know. Let me just talk to you and see what's going on. Yeah, right on. That's dope. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's a, I guess that's a perfect uh, place to start just in terms of like 
how did you guys first start getting into it? And like, or just how, how, like, I, I guess you kind of explained it a little bit, but I guess like it actually like stepping into that world, what was, how did you get your feet wet uh, with that? And just like, um, I guess just for these guys, just trying to figure out like, what would be the first step that they should, um, that they should be taking. I'll let Jazz, maybe uh, he, he's probably more primed to answer that one. Uh, so for me, when I was working with a few of the artists um, and I started to see, like, for instance, we had this record with MGK and he had it in the trailer for Nelson Mandela's Walk to Freedom. All I asked was, because that record was placed on his album, I reached out to his management and said, hey, how did you guys, how were you able to get that song synced with that uh, particular movie? And they said, well, you know what? Matter of fact, uh, he was signed, I think, at the time to um, Def Jam. And then I forget what was the partnering company. And they said they actually have to push his music. So they had to fulfill X amount of records. So I said, so you're telling me that if I had, like, let's say five records that didn't make that particular album, we could, you guys would have to pitch it? They said, absolutely. It's in his contract. So if you have music that you want to pitch and you have records that are just sitting there, again, same thing, rather than sitting on a hard drive, ask him if he's going to mix them or whatever you want to do with them. And so once I started asking the, the right questions, you could say, and just starting to understand, okay, well, how does a song even sync and who are the relationships you have to get uh, to in order to even have that opportunity? Um, by the time that I was able to step away from the artistry in 2017 and just years of just writing down little tidbits, that's aside from Jeremy, that's how I was able to uh, hit up Tank at the time who was doing the first iteration of power and just say, hey, my name is Jazz Feezy, just a small bio. Is there anything I can help you with in terms of full songs or anything you're looking for? And he came back with like a crazy brief list of like three, four pages of this scene needs this, this scene needs this, this scene needs this. He says, I don't expect you to have a turnaround for everything, but that's what I'm working on. That's the whole series. If you have anything, just give me the final. Don't give me version 17 edit. I want finals and that's it. And you have a two-week turnaround. Now, that's very long. I'm sure Chris will tell you two weeks is a lot of time because most of the time when we were doing stuff with Empire and certain things, you'd have like a 12 to 24-hour turnaround yeah. where you got to have like the engineer, the songwriter and everything on deck and they just want the finished product. They don't want any excuses. But I'll let Chris talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think on the other side, if I was to look at um, a composer trying to build a relationship with either a producer or a music supervisor or a production company, um, you know, and I'm trying to think about what really cuts through the noise because anybody who has a show or does a lot of commercials or has any public profile to being um, a person who is that sort of middle, the middleman between the songwriter and the uh, visual component, uh, they get a lot of music constantly being put into their inbox. So, um, you know, I think that the most basic, even what Jazz was saying, to go back even a little bit more, it's like, it starts with the quality of the music. Like you can say, it, you know, if you get some traction, um, if you are working with an artist that's really big, if you have some big publicity, like those are all great things and that's going to put you to the front of the line. But if you don't have that, number one is honestly to make really great music and then hopefully somebody listens to it and they hear how talented you are. Um, but it always, everything in this business starts with the song and every composer, every artist, every A&R, every music supervisor, everybody needs to know it starts with the song. It's so important. And the second thing, if somebody's giving you a brief list, or if you're trying to hit up somebody and you have a hundred songs in your hard drive and you know, every single song you have is a country song and they're the music supervisor for a show 
that only does electronic music, that's not a good way to spend your time trying to get that. Like, they're not going to suddenly, even if your songs are amazing, you have to be aware and do your research as well on the people that you're approaching to be like, hey, listen, I think the music I have would work really well for the projects you have. And you have to be honest with yourself because a lot of people who aren't honest and they try to trick themselves into thinking that it's going to work. And if somebody gives you a brief list, like Jazz is saying, when he gets a list of requests and they're, you know, a little brief and they're looking for a song to fill each, each uh, project. If your song's not right, don't submit it because that's just going to make you really seem like you don't care. You're not paying attention. You're not respecting the process and you're wasting everybody's time. You know, I, there's a million times where I've asked for a dark, ethereal, you know, sparse beat vocal only kind of thing. And then somebody will give me, you know, a really uplifting pop track. It's like, well, now I don't trust you. Now I feel like you don't know what you're talking about and you don't have real ears. So now I know you're all just trying to get a sync and you're not actually taking the project seriously. So I, I'm, I'm done with you. So I think those things, you know, make sure your music is good and make sure if you're approaching somebody to build that relationship from minute one, that it's the right relationship to build. If, if you run into somebody and it's just going to be something you're going to build on, great. But honestly, if you're, if you're targeting somebody and approaching them, just make sure it's the right fit. Yeah, that 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 definitely makes sense. So those are two <laughs> those are two big gems. Um, I, I think a, a big thing for a lot of the producers that are are in here right now, um, maybe Jazz, you could speak a little to this. Um, but like switching over from like going from having like you know a Drake placement to just um, then you know doing TV film and, and things like that. Did you have to switch up um, how you made your beats? Did you have to like uh, do anything different to kind of um, get into get into uh sync and everything like that yeah to, to piggyback off what chris was saying definitely when i first started and i got my first brief of i didn't even know what a a whole tempo song changeup was they wanted uh i remember the first brief specifically they said okay start with hip-hop and then it's gonna have like a sound effect breaking in to just an acapella performance sound effecting out right back into a pop performance sound effecting back into the original track instrumental no vocals so I read this and I'm like, okay, I got it. Did exactly the opposite of what Chris is telling me to do. Definitely didn't read the room. I'm like, all I'm going to do is I'm going to have uh, the beat and then I'm going to have dead air because I'm an idiot because I didn't know the vocals and everything had to be on it. And then I'm going to just have the pop version where it's four, bar, four chords or whatever. So after that mishap, the guy just took me aside and said, look, obviously this is your first time. This is your first transition. I'm going to tell you this once just because I know how much you want this. You got to be able to read like he was saying, the instructions, get the vocalist on there, get the vocals, get everything recorded. Okay. Then build around it. If you say me something with the instrumental and then have dead air and it clearly says line one must have full songs with vocals. Like Chris was saying, I've already started to go against what was the, the requirement. So there was a first couple of hiccups that I didn't really understand what the briefs were. And honestly, it's a hip hop thing. When you're doing instrumentals, you know, we usually are formatted to intro verse hook, verse hook, maybe an outro, maybe a bridge, and then it's done. More loopier based, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you're dealing with scenes and you have dialogue that they're actually going to picture and you're building to an actual uh, video piece itself, you have to take all these into consideration. And it's not just the supervisor. The supervisor is getting that from either the director or they actually have everything done. And you're like the last piece to this, this masterpiece. If you're going against what's on the, what's on the screen, they've given you the content. That's uh, that's not good. But after that hiccup, I started understanding briefs a lot more. 
I started understanding the just the overall science of what they're looking for. And uh, again, it's just you, what Chris was saying, you build the one relationship with that one company, that one group. And, you know, if that if they ever had an off season, I would just hit up Jeremy or, her, or his assistant, Nicole, and be like, hey, while this is gone, you know, I know you guys are at Fox. Is UFC doing anything? They said, yeah, that's an easy call. Boom, call up Eric. Hey, this guy's got some music over here. There you go. But just also knowing the time signature that once a show is done or if the show is all but done, not just finale and everything, you have to be able to always go, if this show goes down or finishes or has off time, what am I going to do in the meantime to build another relationship, to open another door, to stay in this field? Because if you rely on one show, eventually that show ends, unless it's The Walking Dead, which is on season 29 for some reason. <laughs> it's just going to keep going forever. It, forever. They, they're dead. They're already dead. They, they, exactly. That's it. Yeah. It's, you know, and uh, just to say one more thing, and I think this is a... Um, you know, when you say switching gears from being an artist, writer, or producer to a TV writer or producer, um, you know, I've, I've been an A&R for a lot of projects, and I've been a music supervisor for a lot of projects, and I deal with composers that are either only doing artist projects, and I deal with composers that are only doing TV advertising projects, and I deal with composers who can do both. And my favorite thing to do is to deal with composers who can do both. And I'll tell you why. And it's very, very simple. And this is for all the young producers and writers. When I am an A&R and I'm paying you to make a song for me, and I'm telling you when you, you know, here's my artist, I'm going to put you in the studio with them. You're going to make this song. When you give the song back, when I come back to you and say, you know what, the hook's not strong enough. Um, the beat comes in too late. The hook's not strong enough and the vocals need to be louder. If you push back on me, you know, because you want to defend your work, that's okay. I get it. Like, I, of course you have the opportunity to say like, listen, here's why I think the vocal should sit right there. It's because of this part, blah, blah, blah. I'm always willing to have that dialogue. The problem is some producers really, and it's the same with mixers and, you know, everybody really. In the TV world, if a music supervisor or a showrunner comes to you and says, listen, um, vocals are too quiet and the hook's not strong enough and the beat comes in too late, you have to immediately make those revisions and turn that around. So you don't have the ability to push back. I mean, again, you could have the dialogue if you want, but you have to understand you're basically a work for hire. This is your art and it's not going to be compromised by being in this show, but it's their art too. It's a collaborative process. So you need to be able to take in feedback and so that's number one is the ability to hear like, don't get married to every idea you have. Trust that maybe somebody else has a good idea too. And number two, and this is the, the most um, important thing to understand, especially in uh, sync world, speed. When I say I need something, it has to be done. Like Jazz was just saying, six to 12 hour deadlines, you might have to do a revision in less than two hours. In the music world with artists, I ask for a revision. I might not get it for six days. It's crazy to me. So the guys who can do speed, that's going to win the day. That's so in, that, that's very interesting and like really good, really good gems and points there. Um, so I, I guess a, a good question to ask, especially for a lot of these guys in here is like reaching, like reaching out to music supervisors. Has there been like a, a certain time, I guess, Chris, I can ask you this. It's like, has there been a certain time where you've received like, um, music from somebody that you've never heard of, or just like, I guess, I guess just like, how, how, how do people get in contact with, with um, music supervisors and, and, and artists that are booking 
for um, TV and, and, and film. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll jump in here, Jess, then I'll pass the mic to you, I guess. Uh, Like I said, I, you know, when you are an established music supervisor, when you have three shows on the go and a whole bunch of campaigns that you just worked on and you're getting a little bit of press and everything is going well for you as a music supervisor, it's great. However, you do have a lot of music needs and your inbox is full every single day with every single pitch company, every sync company, every publishing company, every management company, and every artist constantly emailing you, trying to get you aware of what their music. And it's really hard to cut through that noise. Um, you know, number one, to answer the question on how do you find a music supervisor? That's the, the composer, like do the research. If you see a show and you're like, that show is perfect for me. You can watch the credits. You can go to social media. You can go to LinkedIn. You can, you know, there's nobody in the music business that you can't find. I mean, there's, of course, there's going to be some CEOs and some production companies and maybe like, you know, I'm even thinking like in the Canadian majors, if you try hard enough, you can get to the very top if you want to. There's usually no need to, you're just going to annoy somebody. But, you know, the days of being like an A&R guy and being hidden, and we all know a few of these guys, all of us in this room know a few of these guys, those guys aren't long for this world anymore because the more exposed you are to the, to the composers and all the people that make you stronger, the better you're going to do at your job. That's just the way it works in 2021. So you got to do the research. You got to find these guys. You got to find the right icebreaker and you got to make sure that when you're reaching out to them, don't give them 500 songs, give them one or two songs and make sure they stand out, make sure they're perfect. And like jazz did, maybe you have to follow up a whole bunch of times. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And and to piggyback on what you're saying, please, if you're an instrumentalist, I know before you even get songs, don't link them to your SoundCloud with like 10,000 beats that you just made. Like, again, unless Chris was saying they're looking for instrumentals, someone's just going to look at that and be like, uh-huh, add to my spam next. And now you've just discounted yourself for no reason. Because again, if you don't come the correct way and you just like, yo, man, uh, get my music synced. That's definitely, if anyone says that, I'm just going to be like, basic basic rudimentary hi my name is insert your name you're a government name not your you know my name is pythagorean theorem of the seventh dimension i'm sure that's great but go with you know my government name my name is eric so-and-so they want to know you're a human if they think you're the second coming of the weekend you're living in the shadows i, I don't think they're going to reach out to you maybe maybe but i'd like to know there's a human behind that um and like chris was saying before i even got searched with empire and even knew about jeremy I did the, I watched season one. I literally went to the credits and then I saw, okay, uh, music director and music supervisor. And I started seeing the names and I started writing them down. Half the time, you know, these guys stuff is on LinkedIn. It's on IMDB. Like there's so many spots you can go to, but once you get their email, how are you approaching them? Cause if it's just like, yo, I'm a fan of your show. Really love you. I think I can get in, check my music. And you didn't again, introduce yourself you got to be very careful because sometimes your first shot is the only. And um, outside from that, I mean, sometimes before the pandemic, obviously right now, right now, this is discounted. There's sometimes where they're in the city at other like workshops. So sometimes just going in the crowd and going to watch them speak afterwards, just approaching them. If you have that opportunity, Hey, my name's so-so and just try to have a conversation. I know before the pandemic, this was possible. Now it's a little bit harder, but it goes a long way. A handshake, the the old basic manners. That's what I kind of go with. Yep. No, that, that's definitely a good point. I, I think people lose that a lot. Like even, even for us, like I literally get like, 
uh, probably like five to 10 DMs a day of just people just sending links. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, what's, what's going on? So yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Um, so I guess just kind of uh, switching gears here a little bit. Um, what, what would you guys say, I guess, for um, mainly for people that, mainly for producers and, and, and maybe for, for some artists that, that I guess they just don't know, like, is there, is there like certain companies that they should be looking out for? Are there ones like, is it better to work with ones in Canada versus the United States, just in terms of like, I guess, like I, everyone here is just like starting from the beginning. So for, for, for the most part, it's just kind of like figuring out the first kind of steps um, to like even uh, find those companies or find those people. Um, what, what would you say to that just in terms of like people just like, like uh, just, just like first starting off? Can you clarify the type of company you're talking about? Like uh, I think in our critique, like some, some, uh, some people were men mentioning like a company called it Instinct um, as well. Like there, there Instinct Entertainment. Yep. So Michael Perlmutter. Okay. So um, yeah, so that, that's a music supervision company, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you're, you're trying to build a relationship with, uh, you know, the music supervisors. And then there's other companies. I thought I, the reason I asked the question was I was wondering if you meant like companies that are sync agents. So you give them your music and they just pitch your music for you. Basically, you go into a big catalog, your 20 songs join 20,000 other songs, and they have a team of music supervisors and their own relationships. And, you know, they, they throw out your music trying to get syncs. And if you do get a sync, you know, whatever the split is, 50-50 or 75-25, stuff like that. Um, and I'm just going to make a quick point about when you're reaching out to people, uh, Jazz nailed it. You're being polite. You're, ex you're explaining clearly who you are. You have, and this, for, for starting out, I guess the number one thing to do um, for all of your music is organize it all, go through every single song you have, if it's three songs or 300 songs, you have to make a list of every single song and a list of every single writer or sample or whatever it is. So that's called rights management. So your rights management, if you're taking your music and bringing it to a company that's either gonna pitch it for you or sync it for you, you have to make sure that it can clear, that you understand if they say how many other writers are on this track, you have to know. Like the amount of times I've wanted a song and people are like, and all of a sudden there's surprise writers that just pop up. It's crazy to me. Like you have to know exactly all the details about your song. If there are three writers, who are their publishing companies? If they don't have publishing companies, have they already approved the song? If they've approved the song, did they put it in writing? You need all of this information. You need to make sure, you know, a really... You guys might know a guy named Mike McCarty, who was at SOCAN, chief membership officer. He works with Rodney and I'm, I'm guessing a lot of you are running with him. And he calls it the rights management pond. You know, in every song, it's this murky swamp of nobody knows who the writers are or what the pieces are. Nobody knows if they're samples, who the writers on the samples are. If you can have a really clear, crystal clear pond where you have all of your details right there for you, and then you have that attached to all your songs and you have them in a really simple place that people can search them like a disco or whatever it is, or even it's on your hard drive, you have sort of, you know, what, what worked best and you have them broken down by genre and all that kind of stuff. 
that would be the first, first, first step to take is make sure that your backyard is clean. Yeah, that may, that definitely makes sense. Is there is there any tricks that you've had, Jazz, to to making sure you stay organized? Is there any like apps or anything that you kind of use to 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 um, to keep yourself tidy? So so for me, I always do. And again, this is just from just years of working. I'll even go as far as putting the beats per minute in case they need that. If they need the key of the song, already got that. And so say if I have a record, let's say it's me, you and Chris, just for the sake. I would call the beat the year. So say we're in 2021. 2021, uh, mayonnaise, doesn't matter what the name is. And in brackets, I would put Chris, Jazz, and Beat Cave. So I know the exact three writers that are there on the composition side and bracket, uh, whatever, tempo of the beat, and then the name of the key. Cool. Now I'll go find the writer, or if I'm working with the writer together, we're writing the song. Okay, let's get in here. Let's finish the song. Let's say Chase on the, on the, on the verses needed the record. So now when I finish the song, I make sure Che's name's on there. So then when I open up my document, I already have the lyrics done, good and ready to go. Then I'll start throwing down every single composer. I put down their SOCAN information. Like he was saying, if they have a publisher, um, everyone's agreeance. If they need a digital thing, I'll literally just go to my WhatsApp and go, hey, do you clear this song? Yes, cool. That picture's already there. So he can already see that. Oh, he already said it. He has a signature there. So when I hand everything in, everything like he said is in a crystallized one sheet, with all the lyrics and everything that he needs. So then it just comes down to, does this hip hop record or R&B record or whatever we use, fulfill what the supervisor needs for whatever shows they're working on? Because the easiest you make their job, the easier that they can go right to, this can go right here. If he's got to come back and ask me like, yo, where are the lyrics? What's the tempo of the record? Where's all this stuff? I'm already giving him much of a headache. And if he starts seeing too much of this, guess whose email is getting blocked next time I go, hey, Chris, uh, I got another record for you. Oh, it's not going through. What happened here? I mean, come on. That's just the way it is. It's the reality. Yeah. You got to yeah. make their job easier because they're the ones that are plugging it over. But you need to know too, as the composer, protect yourself. Like of course. You, you don't know if you're going to get sued later because you went into a room with three other writers and you didn't agree to splits. And then you go out and you say, no, it's a third each. It's all good. You register the song with SoCan and whatever pre-RO you use. And you know, the song gets a big license, you know, the, the funny thing about songwriting is nobody cares about the splits. Every room is the, it's so chill and everybody's good friends and it's all fun and it's creative and it's great until there's money on the table. The second an artist picks up that song and that song blows up, the second that song gets a big commercial, all of a sudden, everybody's got a different perspective from what happened in that room. Because suddenly you're going to have one guy go, I don't think so, man. I'm pretty sure I own 95% of the song because I did all the work. So I know it's, I know it's like the worst part about being creative, but administration and if, and ever, honestly, even if you're going into a room with your two best friends, agree to splits at the very beginning of the session. If you can't, it's, it's, suck, it's like going on a date and having to, you know, put a contract out for who's going to pay for dinner and what's going to happen. Who's going to make the first move when you guys go to make out afterwards. I know it's totally lame in songwriting, but I'm telling you, uh, you know, I know this from SoCan, the amount of song, it's called, you know, splits in dispute. The amount of songs that are currently in dispute would make your head spin. There are songs out there that have generated millions and millions of dollars of income. And it's all just sitting there in the pipeline because it can't get paid out because the splits can't get agreed to. I know of certain songs that every single person in this room, and I'm, I'm not going to say names, 
but I can tell you like number one hits for years that you know, and you know every single word to, nobody, including the artist, has seen a dime from that song because nobody agrees to the splits 10 years later. It's crazy. Yeah, I forgot. Definitely the split sheets. Otherwise, as he's saying, when it comes out, the Uber delivery guy's going to be like, you know, I got five on that, right? I brought you the food and I said that and, and you use and uh, very in the second sentence and everywhere. It's like, you're the Uber guy. What do you mean? But this, it's a thing. It happens when, again, you want to see something, throw a thousand dollars in a room and say, okay, how much is this thousands going everywhere? And you're going to start seeing some WWE stuff where everyone's fighting for that 1K. Now, like he's saying, put it 100K, put a million down and see how crazy that fight goes. It instantly goes between best friends, we do this forever, let's write forever, into like deathmatch or fight club, real quick. I mean, look, Jeremy Summers, we talked about Down With Webster at the beginning. I'm going to use it as, a, you know, because this got publicized, so I'm allowed to talk about it. Right. But Tyler, who was in Down With Webster, was in a room with Post Malone a couple years ago. They're just, you know, they're in LA, they're hanging out, they're messing around. Tyler's playing bass, Post is there just doing some singing. And then uh, I think Murda's in the room too. And they're just like doing whatever. And they wrote circles and the song comes out. Song becomes the biggest song of 2019. And uh, they did not have a pre-cleared arrangement. So that court, or sorry, that case is gonna be going to court between Post and his people and Tyler, it's gonna blow up a relationship. Hopefully it can be mended and everybody's gonna be better, but murders in the, you know, the, you could Google it. This is on billboard. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not speaking out of uh, turn here, but these are real things. These are friends who are hanging out late night, just maybe having a beer, just writing a song. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, biggest song on the planet. And uh, that, that's it. You're, you're just out of all your money. Yeah, that, that's absolutely crazy. And I, you know, like, I feel like that happens a lot. And, and um, I think even like Jazz was talking about it to me before, where like, you know, there are certain times where either like people mess up their their deal because they, you know, they end up doing something wrong or they have a, a deal with, uh, with somebody that doesn't really uh, end up panning out. Um, but that's, yeah, that, 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 that's very, that, that's some big gems there. Um, we actually had someone ask a question in the um it was just uh, does does word of mouth work better in the sync industry or the um or just building um relationships i i would say that word of mouth is going to work really 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 well if you're an artist and everybody wants to sync your records um otherwise if you're a composer or a straight producer you need relationships that's the simple answer and i can elaborate a little bit um how a music supervisor or a TV showrunner or a creative team behind a commercial, uh, how really, I mean, unless you're a, a known composer, you know, every time a TV show, just so you guys understand how this works um, for TV and I'll just kind of quickly give an overview. So um, I, if you don't, is that okay if I do that guys? Uh, I don't want to take up too much time. No, yeah, no, 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 please, please do, yeah. Oh, I'm just going to say, uh, I'm, I'm going to leave video games out of it for a second. Although I, you know, I'll quickly touch on video games by saying that video games is a really interesting thing for, um, you know, there, I know a lot of guys who strictly make beats and obviously the opportunities for a commercial license or a TV license aren't um, maybe as, as uh, bountiful as somebody who's writing full songs. But in video games, it's a really great industry to try to get to know people 
because every single, and I'm not just talking about like big games on a, on a PlayStation or a switch. I'm talking about iPhone games or mobile games. I'm talking about all sorts of stuff that you don't like, it's just beats in the background. And so you can take stuff and you never, like, I know a lot of guys who design video games and they just need soundtrack to basically repetitive stuff, like 45 second loops that just keep going. You all have the games on your phone. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but the big three for, you know, uh, screen stuff, it's advertising, it's television and it's film. So for advertising, the way it works is there's a brand, uh, we'll call that brand McDonald's and McDonald's has an agency who handles all of their advertising and we'll call that agency Cossette. And so at Cossette, I don't, I can't, I can't remember if Cossette's still their agency. They were probably not anymore. It moves around a lot. And then Cossette uh, internal, because every agency is kind of a global agency. So let's call it Cossette Toronto. They have a whole bunch of creative teams in house at Cossette, hundreds of employees. And they have a, you know, a creative team of five people and they're gonna be in charge of certain McDonald's ads. Like maybe they'll do the, the new summer drinks. And then there's gonna be another creative team that only does the weekly specials at McDonald's. Then they're going to have another team that only focuses on the Big Mac and then another team that focuses on new products. Like it's, it's really like, and that's your lane and you stick in that. And so each of those creative teams has what we call a bunch of suppliers and suppliers are the people who put together their advertising, their commercials, right? So your editing people, the people who edit the commercial, your production company, uh, your director agency, like, you know, you got to pick a director to shoot the commercial and your music house. So the music house or composers are, these are people who, well, you have that relationship with that creative team at that agency working on that product. And they have a, you know, a new thing for McDonald's has a bunch of shitty donuts out and you're going to, you know, make a bunch of 30 second jingles for these donuts. And you basically have to submit, you know, 10 original pieces of music. Um, and then the creative team says, I hate all 10 of them. They actually don't listen to it. They just tell you right away, like, no, these aren't working for us. And then you write 10 more and they go, no, these aren't working for us. Um, and then you write 10 more and then they pick one and it goes because they ran out of time. Like actually that's, that's sort of what happens for writing original music for TV commercials. And then the other side of it, of course, is licensing where they don't look for an original piece of music. They just want something that already exists. And that's where artist songs come in um, and people who have a big catalog who maybe are represented by one of these companies like Insight or Instinct that we talked about earlier. Uh, and that's advertising. Television, it's a little bit different in that every TV show has usually one composer that they work with for the entire life of that TV show. So that one guy does all of the music for every single episode. And then they have one, um, and that in, in that case, that's like usually because they have a great relationship. Uh, and I uh, you know, don't want to go too long on this uh, rant, but basically that comes because just like you who's making beats for the very first time or making a song for the very first time, there's also a guy out there who's making a TV show for the very first time and it's terrible. And he's making it on his iPhone and it's the worst show ever, but he's got an idea and he just did it and he put it on YouTube and nobody watched it. But eventually he's gonna go up and so are you. And if you build that relationship early enough, all of a sudden he's gonna have empire and you're gonna have big songs and you guys have known each other for 10 years. And he knows that you're the guy when he has a scene, he just goes, yo, in this scene, you know what it is. This guy's going to die. It's going to be really sad. I need to make people cry. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you say no more. I got it because you guys have been working together. You have that rapport and it's really good. So every showrunner or director always has a composer that they like to bring with them. And you can look at the biggest shows, the biggest creators always have one composer they work with. 
Christopher Nolan likes to work with Hans Zimmer. And I mean, those are obviously the biggest director and the biggest composer, but that's, you know, it, they go hand in hand together. And then also it's the same thing. There's usually a music supervisor who doesn't play as critical a role and they're just bringing in licenses uh, for that production. And then the third is movies and it's the exact same thing as the TV, except for it's, a, it's an even tighter relationship because the, the making of a movie and the score of a movie can take a year. Whereas a TV show might take a week per episode and a commercial might take 12 hours. So your timelines really condense. And then financially, commercials pay the most and then TV and then films. So those are the three big things you need to think about and the weird little spin out of video games. And that's, that's enough out of me. Sorry for dominating there for a second. To, to add on to that, where do trailers fit in the money-wise? Because I feel like trailers monetarily give you the most in most oh. cases. Yeah, I, I, and that's and trailers is trailers have become. I would say that the there's a whole new business that's popped up in the past. I mean, it's always existed, obviously, but trailers didn't used to be as dynamic as they are today. Like, if you remember trailers 10, 15 years ago, you used to literally be like in a world, like it was just that same voice and like big sound effects. Whereas now, trailers, it's like because of streaming, because of how, how the entire movie business has shifted um, from theater to rental to home video. And it's, you know, Disney plus isn't going away. Like the pandemic has um, rapidly increased how we consume long form media. And it's probably not gonna go back after this, but trailers now, uh, it's this new industry that's cropped up where there's composers and writing camps and agencies that are only focused on trailers. And the money is amazing. If you can get the right trailer, because everybody's spinning a trailer. It's all over the place. So yeah, trailer, I, I'm sorry I forgot about that. That's a great, thank you, Jess. That's, that's I got you, I got you. huge business right now. And it's separate. Oftentimes the composer of the film isn't the composer of the trailer. So you, you yeah, I was, I was just going to ask, like, how does that, how does that typically work? Because I, I would have thought that because the person is doing the movie with them, that the trailers would have just like come hand in hand with the movie. So like, you want to just talk a little bit about how that, is a little bit different than actually with the movies, the actual movie itself. Um, do you want to take that, Jess, or you want me to? Uh, I can talk a little bit about it, but I'll let, you, I'll let you finish it off. Usually, like you were saying, the composer and the director are so tight. That all inside the music, you have a whole different mindset of how the character is moving, how's the scenes going. Sometimes you don't want that chef to present what's going on the outside for the rest of it. He might be the most amazing like Hans Zimmer out of this world and he can absolutely kill it but you might want the x-ray dogs or one of these other crazy trailer beasts that can take parts of your composition or an original score and just blow it up so it's like with the swooshes and it just makes you feel like is this movie on earth or are we watching this live from Mars because that that trailer is everything it's just it's just a completely different mindset you have to have a complete I go this way if you have a nice writer like Jay Cole as the guy who's writing your stuff you want a lunatic like Kanye to do the trailer because you know he's gonna take it over the top for all the right reasons. Yeah, my understanding. My understanding. Sorry. No, no, you're bang on. I mean, what we've learned, and like I said, um, you know, movie streaming, home streaming, um, what's been happening with all the big platforms out there? Trailers. There's there there are still a lot of movies and trailers. It's an art. It's an absolute art form. Whereas the composer, you know, you're trying to figure out over 90 to 120 minutes, 
how to pull every single emotion to match every single scene when it breathes, when it doesn't, but the trailer, it's the cell. And so you need somebody who knows exactly what to do for that movie. So when somebody sees it, they're like, that's what I'm watching tonight. So there's guys. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a thing. It's a thing. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. It's kind of like the trailer is more for like the marketing uh, aspect of things when it, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to putting the music together, just because they have to sell it to people, right? Is that, is that what it is for the it most is. part? It is, it is marketing. And you know, it's the same thing with, um, you know, good commercial writers, you know, you can make fun of it all you want, but you know, earlier I touched on speed. And so you can call them, you know, commercial guys don't like to be called jingle writers, but um, you know, a jingle. And obviously, you know, in the eighties, you had like pizza jingles, like, you know, nine, six, like, all that kind of crazy stuff. And like every company would have like a little funny line, like sleep country and, uh, you know, furniture warehouse, like all these things had like a goofy little one line that you saying it, it, um, but the guys who can do that, like, it's a part of marketing. You're doing that with a team. It's basically science driven to earworm into your brain. Uh, and then you just can't forget it. And you're just constantly thinking about the pizza, pizza jingle, like, it is, it is advertising by design is an industry that, you know, uh, digs a really big hole, trips the consumer into it, and then sells you a ladder to get out of it. Like, it's not, it's not a nice place. Like, that's, a, that's a crazy one. That's a, that's a crazy one. That's going to be a clip for content later on. <laughs> oh, man. Um, it, well, I, it, maybe not, you know, the only thing I'm like, I don't want to, I'm going to, I'm going to upset a lot of people by saying that. So let's actually keep this one, that one to this room. Uh, because okay. you don't really want to, you know, that that's somebody who who's just telling you guys what it, what, what it is. Um, you know, when you're in the advertising world, and I don't want to, you know, make everybody in here, basically, I'm, I'm never gonna be able to work on a commercial again, because nobody admits that truth to themselves. Um, but that's what I mean, well, maybe they do. I don't know. But that's what advertising is, guys. Like, you know, we all know this, you see food on TV, it doesn't look like the food you bought. You see, you know, my kids, I have two kids who are eight and five. And right now, every time I buy them a toy they've seen a commercial for, they're so disappointed and they can't for the life of them understand why, why did it look like that? It's like a magazine. Remember that like inflatable pools for your backyard and you'd see it and the Canadian entire catalog. And it's like the giant, the whole family's in the pool. There's a slide and everybody's having a great time. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, get this thing and it's like, it, your dog can fit in it. It's the crazy, it's like, what happened? What happened here? I got the wrong one. So that's, but that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I'm dying over here. That, that's, uh, that's hilarious. It, it's super true. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no. Uh, okay, cool. So, okay. I kind of want to just answer this one question. And then I actually want to get into maybe some of the things that you guys personally work on, maybe taking it from the inception of like how it all started maybe you creating it or getting in touch with a certain person to I guess the finish of it um and then just how that kind of went so I guess this last question here before we get into that would be um do you recall a time when someone approached you in person or an email that stood out to you and made you want to listen to their music what about it made them stand out email specifically I kind of I think we kind of touched on it a little bit but is there a certain um is there a certain time that that happened to either of you guys Hmm. Um, okay. So obviously if it's a well-written, well-organized email, 
that's very, very important. Um, I see that, that somebody's saying one time in particular, and I'm trying to think, and I'm gonna, it's the same thing, honestly, it's like, I would get this exact question um, when I was an A&R for artists saying like, when do you actually listen to the demo and what's the one demo that made you stand out? And honestly, the music is the most important thing so if the if the if the information is presented well that's one thing but then your next so you can you can you can control that and the next thing you can control is that your music is really really great uh who's 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 on your playing music <laughs> all right here we go. this is how you do it that's how you do it um <laughs> oh my goodness okay uh, so sorry. first first thing is again you can control how you present yourself and then you can control the quality of your music and the hurdles you're always going to face and you know nothing in life is easy is you got to get that person to read the email number one and then they have to take it to the next step and click to listen to the music and some people are really bad at doing that. ARs, music supervisors. I'm sure you, every single person in this room has a lot of other writers you guys work with and artists and they send you stuff. And sometimes you listen, sometimes you don't. Like that's the, that's the honest truth. Maybe you're busy. Maybe you're going to get to it later and you forget whatever that is. But there's, there's no stunt or anything that's ever, you know, I can't say that specifically there was one time that, um, somebody really got me but usually it's repetition it's familiarity um if they're really well organized visually if it looks really great and professional um and it keeps popping up and then eventually i listen to it and th that would be the thing Definitely i got two sense. one was the worst email you could do just for everyone in the room to kind of know and one was it's a tactic that was different but Let's go with that one first. The guy under, <laughs> undersold himself completely. said, look, man, this is my first song ever. So already in my brain, I'm like, this is going to be horrible. But look, I met you at so-and-so and I'm a friend of this person. So automatically now I'm like, okay, it's not just a random person because my email isn't out like that. So just, just do me a solid and just listen to 30 seconds of my voice. If you don't like it, you don't even have to respond. And I go, okay, I don't lose. Play the voice. This guy sounded like the second coming of Jay-Z. And I'm just like, wait a minute, you just said this is your first song. So then, if sure enough, he left his number at the bottom, which is important. Give this guy a call. Go, hey, what's going on, man? Like, what, what is this? He's just like, yeah, man, I'm just, I'm just trying, uh, trying out music for the first time. I'm, I'm 21. I used to work at sales department for a bank, blah, 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 blah. And I said, so where did you record this? He goes off my phone. I'm like, but you undersold this. The way I'm reading this email and the what I was expecting was like, here comes like this. He didn't even say he was a rapper. He said like, I sing. He never even did that. But by the time everything panned out, he turned out to be a great guy. The only problem is when we actually got to the business. Oh, by the way, I'm signed to Atlantic Records here. And uh, anything we do, we got to go through them. And I'm just like, dude, you know, there's a sync department, right? Why are you wasting my time? What are we doing here? Because he's just been on the self. He's just one of these guys that's so talented. He got signed when he was maybe 16, 17. He's been sitting on the uh, shelf for five years doing nothing. Figured he'd reach out to me. He's great, but I'm like, yo, if we can't go through Atlantic to clear the records and they're not even putting your album out, what are we going to do with these songs? They're sitting on our drives doing nothing. So that was one instance where someone underplayed. I clicked the email. They signed a great, but I got catfished. The guy got signed. The next one was someone said uh, the email subject was 
the last writer you're ever going to need on earth. Hmm. And he just went on about like how he was, what do you say? He says, I, if I was born in Janis Joplin's era, I would be her best friend or her husband, blah, blah, blah. He just basically oversold. And it was such a parody. I go, let me hear your music. And it just sounded like a 12-year-old first time on the mic. Hello. And I'm just like, why did I open this email? Although I'll never forget it. But the overselling in that situation, I'm like, if he's talking like two, three paragraphs of how God tier is, let me press play. And then when I find out that it's just it's this random little kid, I'm just like, man, I got duped again. But sometimes, sometimes you just, you have to take the risk. Cause like you're saying, we get busy, whatever. Sometimes you just don't want to miss it. And I've done this personally um, before wonder girl blew up. I think she sent me beats on Facebook and this is before she won battle of the beat makers and everything. And the email just sat there and I'm just like, I'm like, who is this person? Cause I just saw her real government name on Facebook. So I'm like, I'm like, all right, whatever. I listen to the beat. I'm like, yeah, you're pretty good. Whatever. The next week she gets a Drake placement. The next week she just blows up. And I'm like, okay, well, I missed that mark because I literally read it five months after the first record comes out. And I'm like, you know, sometimes these are the things that happen. You can't control. You don't know who's going to be who tomorrow. So, yeah. That's that's a big fact, 100%. So that, that's, a, that's a very interesting, those are two very interesting takes. And that I, I think those are big, uh, big things that people could take away to, you know, to, to take into their own um, way to how to how to get how to get the attention right and that's the and that's the major thing so like looking professional and making sure that you know you're you're not uh, overselling or underselling so that's those are those are very interesting um, so yeah I guess we can kind of get into maybe uh, particular things that you guys have worked on and just how that came to be and just um, maybe give some background on it that could uh, could really um, bring to light to just how everything kind of works in that industry and just how um, you guys are able to uh, stay relevant and just kind of stay on top of everything. Yeah, I'll, I'll let Jazz go go first here. Um, what do you mean particularly like like just moving from show to show, keeping busy? Like what exactly, what do you want me to hone so, in on? Sorry, I, I was just, yeah, that was kind of all over the, so mainly just a particular t- thing that you did, maybe like it was on Empire, or maybe just um, one of the one of the pieces of work you did first thing that you can kind of go through of just like the, the like gotcha. the beginning to end. Yeah. Okay. I can go to a particular record. There was uh, uh, dear, give me once. Oh, yeah, I heard it is. Okay. So there was a record on Empire season five that uh, they cleared a Houdini sample, and so they said, okay, use maybe the first twenty seconds of this part of the Houdini record, and we're gonna put it into the show. Perfect. So I got everything done. They proved the song. They proved the lyrics. They proved the beat. That night going to sleep, which I thought it was time to go to sleep. That was my first mistake. 11 o'clock. They go, hey, by the way, that sample's gone. You have exactly an hour and a half to recreate a different melody that's kind of sounding like the Houdini thing. But go because Houdini wants to jack up the price of 50K just for the sample. And the clearance of the record was the budget of 25,000. So they've doubled what it even is asking for. And again, it's only a 10 second sample. So I'm like, okay, well, luckily I knew a couple guys that played some real instruments. Uh, they were able to get to the studio, re-record it. And so we swapped out the sample, but the issue had become now the, the, the director, um, he loved the version with the sample. So now it's just like, we had to basically remake something or do an interpolation of a record until it sounded like it was direct. 
And the one thing I learned that night is I used to, at that time, um, when it came to vocals, I had an engineer, but this engineer kind of went ghost. He kind of just disappeared after he mixed the song the day before. So that night I became an engineer. I had to finesse the vocals and figure everything out because um, like Chris was saying, if I have taken too long on that song, they were ready to scrap the scene. They're like, look, if this becomes too difficult, we'll just get Houdini out of here. We'll think of another group and we'll think of another song. Or we'll just scrap it all together. So when you have like, again, back then in the Empire days, when it was still on, almost like six months of your year's salary pending over you, you better learn how to engineer if you're a producer, first and foremost, because if you can't do your own vocals and edit and do all that stuff, and you're waiting for, let's say, Joe over here at this whatever facility he's using, and he's only available for X amount of hours, and he's got his own clientele, it's a really bad and dangerous situation for your spot, because one, you're going to lose on a lot of money, and two, more importantly, it's just the, it's just the requirement you're going to need, because if you're mixing your own beats and you're at that level, at some point, you got to learn how to mix the vocals or at least get a good enough balanced mix that even if another show on the star is going to resing it, it's got to be presentable. Otherwise, you're always going to be waiting on someone else to have your own fortune kind of come to play. So that night, that sample, that taught me a lot. And ever since then, it's probably one of the lessons I'll tell every producer that if you don't mix, please start and learn how to do that today. Because if you're relying on someone else, it's really your opportunity you're letting waste. Because if that engineer doesn't mix it in the hour that you need it, they'll easily find someone else or scrap the scene. They're not scared to do any of that. Yeah, no, that that definitely makes that definitely makes sense. No, that's that's interesting to hear for sure. Um, and Chris, do you have any um, in terms of like the the background that you have? Have you um, do you have any stories of just like anything that you've worked on that um, can bring to light of just that world, this world a little bit more? Um, I, I mean, it's a little different because I'm not coming from the the producer writer background. I'm coming from the person who needs to build the relationships with. Uh, different production companies and different agencies um, and different sort of creative people on that level. And honestly, I would say, you know, I was very lucky in my career early on meeting sort of a, you know, a few growing teams and really trying to get in with creative people from a very early, early, early point. So um, there was a couple shows that I got because I just like, I had to recognize in myself, like I was saying earlier, I was new to this. I was new to music supervision. So I'm probably not gonna get the biggest shows out there out of the gate. I don't have the experience. I shouldn't be going for that. I need to work with people who are also learning so we can all sort of learn and grow together. So I took a very, very proactive approach to trying to find people who were new, finding indie movies, finding indie TV shows. Um, of course, I was working for a company that was really well established in advertising. So I never really had to do that on the advertising side. But, um, you know, and that allowed me the room to be able to, to really, you know, when you get a big established show with a big established team and you're doing what I'm trying to do, which is take care of all the music needs for something. And if you're working with a bunch of people who've been doing it for 25 years and it's your first year, it's going to be really, really tough. You're not going to know any of the language. You're not going to know how deadlines work. It's like they don't expect you to have to go through a full education. If you're, if you're in the room with them, they think that it's because you, you know, people get very, like I did get a few shows that were pretty big and established and people were legitimately like really confused by me and had no, like they thought 
I, I think they thought on one show, I'm not going to say what show it was, but I'm pretty sure they thought I was like the, the, basically the boss's nephew or something. Like it was a full Tommy boy situation. Like I had no idea what I was doing and I frustrated everybody. And so that was an awful, awful place to be. Um, but when you, when you get with a, a new team and new people, you, you know, obviously you're either going to, you, you, sometimes you are on the fire and you just have to learn, like jazz was saying, you know, right away, you got to learn that new skill. Um, but the, the times that I really recognized in myself that I was new and I found new people as well, and I didn't try to chase the most established projects, that's where I found the most joy and the most uh, growth personally and professionally. Dope. Yeah, no, that's, that's really dope. Um, yeah, and it's just coming from a completely different side. And I'm glad you guys are both being able to speak on the, the two different sides of, of this world. Um, I guess I would just kind of put it out there of just like, what else do you think that, um, that these guys kind of need to know just entering in this world? I just, if there's anything that we kind of missed or kind of touched on that you guys want to retouch on um, that just kind of needs to be a little bit more um, elaborated on. Um, is, there, is there anything that kind of comes to mind for you guys at all? I'm going to go through a quick checklist. Um, and then I, I, I'm going to invite Jazz to jump in and cut me off because he's going to have much more practical advice here. But I just want to sort of, you know, as we approach the one hour mark, recap a few things. Um, and I see there's a question here that that asks. Make sure um, you guys have your notebooks, by the way. If you guys don't have notes, writing this down. We are recording this as well, but just just so you guys, you know, it can it can get ingrained in your brain. <laughs> I, I do see that um, 3 a.m. Premiere did ask, how do you get sent placements? And I'll give I'll, like I have a, a couple things I didn't say about that, but I'll, I'll I'll try to hit those questions too. But number one. You know, the very beginning of what we talked about is rights management, making sure that you know every single detail that there possibly is to know about your song, um, writer splits, having everything agreed to, understanding if there's any other approval parties, what's going on. Um, I would say if you're a composer making music, have different versions, have a clean version and have an instrumental version. That's always very, very important for the projects that you're going to be pitching music to. Um, Having your songs live somewhere, that actually makes sense. So if you're going to have a disco link, if you don't know what disco is, look it up. It's basically rights management software for you. So you can put all your songs there and fill out all that backend information. People can search your music on disco. Music supervisors do use it. They can find your stuff and make sure that all the rights and all the lyrics and everything are basically, you store all your information there and they don't even have to ask you. So that's great, um, including you know lyrics if you have them or not. And then when we, you know, and then once you have all that stuff, that's your, that's your, you know, the base. And then when we go to pitching music and finding music supervisors, it's that honesty. Again, it's where are you at in your career? What, what shape are your songs in? Do you think that your songs are ready for a big giant Hollywood blue chip film? Or are you still, you know, trying to find your sound a little bit and you're not quite there. So you're not gonna, you know, you're just gonna try to build some relationships, but really you understand that you're not there yet. And then you as a creative person, are you trying to make songs for artists that you want to license to a thing? Or do you want to actually work as a composer? Do you want to write music bespoke? Meaning, are you writing music that's particularly for that project? Or do you already have the music and you just want to license it for a fee because an artist is going to take it and you know that's what your focus is. You're trying to do artist stuff and you just want to make some extra income. Or are you really jumping in on this and that's what you want to do? You're making music specifically for that project. You don't really care about the artist. 
you have to be honest with yourself about that question too. Um, and then, you know, when you are approaching people, making sure that you understand if you're approaching music supervisors directly, that you understand their shows and you truly believe that your music is a fit for what they're doing. Don't try to cheat yourself and cheat them. It's not going to work. It's going to be very, very transparent. And again, if you try to tell somebody, just like Jazz said, that you have the greatest song of all time and the song is garbage, like I know it's really hard to know that you're so, okay, I, I was in a band. Uh, we thought we were going to be rock stars and we weren't, you know? Uh, and when I listen now, 20 years later, the band, I'm like, oh, I know why. Like, and I became an A&R person. I was like, oh, I can tell you the vocalist, you can't understand a word he says. That's why we weren't rock stars. I could say just that one reason. So you have to learn, you know, music is subjective. Obviously beauty is in the eye of the beholder. However, uh, there is some standards that you probably should or uh, be aware of. Um, and then just on this last question that I'm going to jump into, um, how to find and get sync placements. One thing we haven't talked about is some of those agencies that exist. If you Google, um, basically what happens is if you have a whole bunch of songs in your hard drive, there are companies out there, like we touched on for a second, who if they want to represent you, you sign a contract with them you give them all your songs and they take care of all the placement stuff, but they can only do that if they know that your songs are pre-clear. So these are two terms that you need to understand. Pre-clear, meaning it's already cleared. The, anybody can license it. It's all good. This song, it's like, you know, it's basically stock music. That's how cleared it is. I know there's not going to be a problem. Uh, and you, whatever the price is, I'm good with it. And then one stop. And if you're a composer and you're a one-stop guy, that means you control everything. You don't need to go to anybody else for any permissions. I'm the guy. I'm telling you, this song, my song, my writing, my singing, it's all me. I'm a one-stop guy. So how, you know, having that understanding as well. I think, is that the question? I don't know. I just kind of- No, yeah, sorry, sorry. That was great. I, I'm just muted. I didn't, I didn't realize. No, that, that, was, that was perfect. Um, yeah, and I guess, Jads, if you wanted to touch on any other, um, any other things there. Yeah, to get back to what Sky James, Sky High James was asking here of mastering too, I wouldn't worry so much about mastering of your records because most often than not, at least in Empire's case, when we were doing the demo, so let's say uh, me and Jerome here did the demo, someone on the show like Terrence Howard or whatever, we were doing it for a specific character. Our demo just had to be clear and fluent enough for an actual actor to re-sing it in the actual show. Um a lot of times with mastering, you can get away with the light master if you have isotopes, if you have waves. Um, there's so many different VST plugins. I would worry less about mastering other than getting a clean mix. And you could even just crank up the, the, the master meter itself. Because if you're more worried about the master, but the song is absolute not good, you can crank that as loud as you want. Everything's still going to be terrible at whatever volume you go to. Definitely make sure the song's good. Everything's good in the mixing. And the lyrics are good. And again, like he was saying, even with, if you do auto-tune rap, nothing against it. But if you're in like some weird key and no one can audibly hear any lyric, and even when you're reading the lyrics, you're looking up and hearing the voice going, what on earth am I listening to? That's not a good sign. Maybe turn down the, the tune a little and just make sure it's audible. We got to understand what's going in. Unless the, unless the brief is make some incoherent music that a first grader would ever make. I guess that's the scene where I guess you could say it's the work. Um, building onto what Chris said, publishing deals. We didn't talk about this. I'm going to only speak on my situation, nobody else's. Um, sometimes when you have a sync, 
And I'm going to say the smaller amounts are anywhere between $500 and $2,000. Mid, you can say $2,500 up to ten, dollars And then everything else that's higher ranking, you start getting $10,000 above. Sometimes when you have a song that's already cleared by your publisher and everything's good to go, you might get a sync for 500 bucks. And I've gotten that sync sometimes where I hit a supervisor and they'll say, all right, we only have $500. We only want 30 seconds or maybe a minute and it's going out to the credits and the show ends done. Are you okay with that? Of course, I'm going to say yes. The song's already done. It's sitting there doing nothing. Absolutely. Let's go. Could even be an old song from TI or whoever. Where the block comes in is sometimes the publishers are coming in to get a little greedy. go, yeah, now nah, 500 is too less. Let's do it for 5,000. You got yourself a deal. That's 10 times the amount, 500 to 5,000. So instead of getting the easy money that I've already made the relationship with the supervisor and just saying, just hit that, that check mark saying we can go in, they'll want to maximize because they're a publisher to get the biggest return. They get, I, I get more money through them. They get more money on their half. And sometimes that could tank your deals. And in certain situations, I've had this happen prior. I have a wife. So I go, you know what? Don't worry about it. I hit the supervisor up. Don't put it underneath my wife's name. Put it, or sorry, don't put it under my name is Jazz Feasy. Put it underneath my wife and let them prove if it's a if it's an underground act, let them prove that she didn't do it. Because I'm not gonna say if they say you did this song, no, I didn't do it. Oh, okay. Well, she did it. Now it's cleared. But they're they're putting me in a sticky situation where the publisher already has me signed. I have to continue working with that supervisor. So if I piss them off and it's in a scene and now we can't use the music and it's rolling tomorrow and my publisher is being an idiot, I have to look at my longevity. Am I going to continue working with my super, or sorry, am I going to continue working with the supervisor years from now on different shows and different things? Or am I going to rely on my publisher to bring me something which, at least for me, I'm not one of the priorities. They have not. They just take 50% of whatever I do. I'm going to worry about myself and that publisher's deal. So before anyone in here, if you ever decide to get a publishing deal, what are they doing? What does it say in your contract? Are they just a bank to front you money and you got to pay it back in X amount of years? What exactly are they doing? Because nine times out of 10, if they're just giving you a crazy contract because you have, let's say 10% or a snare on a Drake record, that's great. You get the money today. But five, six years from now, when you don't get new cuts and you decide to switch an industry, primarily talking about me, and now you're getting all the money and all the stuff from different uh, acquisitions of supervisors and relationships, and they just keep collecting 50, but you're recouped. I mean, is the deal really worth it? Because if you're just one person, one producer, one entity, just continue trying to work and trying to get more work in the field that you love, what do you need someone to be like every time you get a check? Yeah, let me just uh, take half of that every single time for no reason. Now, at one point, again, I'm talking about in the beginning, they fronted me the money, they got everything they needed. But as these smaller opportunities come up and I want to be more viable in TV, film and sync in general, if they're not doing anything at some point, either I got to say, hey, it's uh, it's time to break up here. It's 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 over. It's also knowing when you've kind of outgrown your situation, outgrown your relationship, because we're not talking a marriage of man and wife. We're talking about a business relationship to me and my publisher. And if it's already past due, if I continue to be in that business, I'm the only one crying, it's on me. I could easily just call up and be like, hey, we're past our time, I gotta go our separate way. And that, if, if you can realize that, that's gonna be the difference of working multiple times with anyone you want versus being stuck in a deal. And then you gotta always worry about, man, is my publisher gonna come in for a thousand bucks and be like, yeah, we want 20,000 and ruin multiple deals and multiple relationships. But that's to each person. Everyone's monetary situation is gonna be different. 
based on where they are in their life. Some people need money. They got to get to where they are and they got to do what they have to do. But for me and my standpoint, now that I'm seven years removed from my contract and I'm just looking back, I'm just like, maybe it's not the best idea to tell everyone to go get a pub deal, but the average person flaunts it as if it's the greatest thing. Yeah. And I feel like that, that, that's one thing that, um, that people are always looking for, but they don't really know what, what it, what it comes down to. So is there any, like, I guess if they're trying to get it, if a lot of these priests are trying to get into the sync world, is there, I, I guess this should automatically get in with like an entertainment lawyer and just automatically make sure that everything is, is clear. Do they have to go through SOCAN or like their, their uh, distribution or not distribution or whatever company that uh, is in their particular country? Like what do they, do they have to do certain things like that as well with their music? So I guess what I'm, what I'm asking is just basically what, it, what, what steps do they need to do to protect themselves? If they need to get an entertainment lawyer, do they need to sign up with SOCAN? Does it need to be through SOCAN? Um, and just, yeah. Or, okay, so um, when you make music and you sync music or you uh, release music through an artist project and then that song, I mean, it's, it's very different these days, right? Because 10, 15 years ago, what would happen is you made CDs and those CDs, what, you know, you would have a, a company in Australia and a company in Italy and all over the world, every little country had their own little plant and they would print CDs and they would sell them and get all at stores physically and get all the money. And then they would have all the money. And then you would have to go to every single territory who all have different rules and different payouts for how that happens and request to get your cut of the money back. So a publishing deal was a great idea because the publisher would go and do all those collections for you. A publisher had offices all over the world in every single little place. When you were selling CDs, the publisher was already there in Australia. They were already there in Italy and they already had an office who had a relationship with that CD and all the stores and the distribution and they could make sure you're getting paid. And when digital came around and you know physical media went away and it was all digital. Obviously, if you put your music up through CD Baby or through TuneCore or one of these distribution platforms that basically is free, um, all your collections for all your Spotify and everything spins, they're all just getting you know paid to you through that system directly. Not your publishing, that's just the master. For the publishing, you should sign up to a SOCAN. They do collections for you. They can do global collections for you because they have partners in all these different places. Like I think every performing rights organization that you're a member of that you legally can be. So in Canada, um, like look at SOCAN, look at the CMPA, look at you know CC or C or whatever it is. Um, you'll figure it out. Um, you know these these are organizations that if you can get a rep at, they're going to help you with those collections. And, you know, a publishing deal, you should be doing it like a publisher is going to always tell you, of course, that they can get you syncs, that they can get you cuts, that they can get you in the room with people and they can do collections and they can pay you a big advance, maybe. Um, but what's happening more and more is publishing companies are just trying to rather than take really they're not going to take a big bet on you unless you already have a track record, you know, so it's all math. I've seen the deals. So if there's a writer who's independent and they wrote three songs on the weekend's latest record and they made $3 million and it, there's $3 million out there sitting in that pipeline for that writer, the publishing company can come in and offer you an advance of $3.5 million because they know they're right away going to recoup 3 million of it. 
and they're going to give you $500,000 based on, it's all math. So they have a formula and they know exactly, probably historically what you're going to do versus what you've done plus whatever multiple. And they're going to make you a deal based on that. If you're just a, a brand new writer, they're going to, if they believe in you, they're going to give you a little bit of money, maybe up front. Um, and then they're probably going to give you a few opportunities, but they're really going to sit back and see what you do because they believe in you and they think something's going to happen, but it's a business. They're going to go in with relatively low risk, hoping that you turn into a big golden goose for them. <laughs> and honestly, they're going to do that with 30 people at this. It's the same with labels. They sign a lot of artists and they throw all of them against the wall and they see what sticks and whatever one sticks, that's the one they're going to put everything behind. They can't promote and do everything for every artist. So it's not, you know, that's not the business's fault. That's what the business has to do to make money. Um, but, you know, publishing deals in the sync world, it's not up to the publisher what gets placed on a TV show. It's not up to the publisher what gets placed in a commercial. A publisher can get things to the music supervisors. They probably have better relationships, but they're not the ones who put it up on screen at the end of the day. So they can't promise you that. They can promise to nominate you for it. And that's awesome. So just be realistic when it comes to publishing and sync, what a publisher can really do for you. Some publishers also are better sync publishers than others. You have to know that. Some publishers don't really like sync. I mean, to talk about Jazz's example, the reason a lot of publishers, when you have a $500 opportunity, will try to spin it into a $5,000 opportunity is because they're doing something which is known as protecting the value of copyrights, which is a good thing because copyrights should be protected, especially in the publishing world. Uh, the master part, you know, and everybody should know this, but just to be clear, every song, it's two parts. There's the master, which is the physical recording of that song and the publishing, which is the songwriting ownership of that song. Okay. And when you, one spin on Spotify, the pub, uh, the publishing side of the song, even though it's 50%, doesn't get paid out the same as the master. So a record label works on the master and a publishing company works on the publishing side. That's how that works. So that's a little complicated. If you don't understand how that works um, and you're a composer, you need to go and research it and learn. I'm not going to be able to break it all down for you right now, but I think a lot of misinformation is out there about who's doing what and what money you're owed and where your value is. Um, and you don't, if you don't have that, that basic knowledge of publishing versus master of what labels do, of what publishing do, of what label services are, of what collections are and how publishing and songwriting splits work, even on the publishing, there's the writer share and the publisher share, right? And you need to know all of these things. And again, I'm not going to break it down here, but, um, discover that for yourself and, and learn those, uh, learn those lessons. No, yeah, no, for sure. I think that those are really important things that people definitely need to, to take in and make sure that they make it a priority because obviously a lot of people in here are creatives and they're just focused on the creative side of things, but uh, those things definitely matter. And especially when, you know, you're trying to get your money. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, um, books out there, right? Like go to Amazon and look up the books. Like, um, I, I can't remember any off the top of my head and I'm not gonna start Googling now. I believe uh, um, an author who is a lawyer in Canada, Passman, has a book out. There's books like Everything You Need to Know About the Music Business. There's, there's a bunch of books 
and there's articles and there's a lawyer in Vancouver. Um, I think he's called the rock and roll lawyer or something like that. And he just goes on Instagram and posts a new lesson every week, I think is what it is just oh, cool. for composers, because, you know, there's a lot of lawyers out there who have obviously clients coming to them who have zero money and zero understanding. And you have a song and you're like, I think I'm about to get a sync and I don't know what's happening. So uh, I think I own the whole thing, but I have no idea. And these are, these are, these are learning moments that you have to learn. And when you become a professional at this, and this is going to be your career for the rest of your life, you need to know the ins and outs of every little thing. And the, the, the problem is the rules of the game keep changing. The goalposts are always moving. The publishers, you know, the value of compositions is going down, um, yet going up in other ways. Spotify, as everybody here knows, is in a battle with all the labels and the publishers because they, you know, where's the money going? If you're getting $5,000, the artist is getting $5,000 for every 1 million spins. Whereas back in the day, if you sold a million copies of a record at 20 bucks a pop, $20 million versus $5,000, it's a big difference. And obviously there's other things at play. There's no shipping, there's no factories, there's no order fulfillment, there's no, you know, all the other things that go into retail that don't exist in the digital world. Um, but when we hear about the fall from grace and everybody on this call, I'm sure is really, really young. I'm probably guaranteed. I'm probably the oldest person here. Um, you know, the, the, like the eighties and nineties, like the good old days of the music business to now it's, it's night and day how the money flows. And it's good to just be aware of that history and know about that moving forward, because you know, you are the creatives, you are the writers, you are the producers, you are the artists. You need to understand where the business currently is and where it can go to, because you're going to be the change makers that are going to have to be fighting for your rights when it comes to against basically every single person out there and making sure you protect. So I guess all that is to say, while I agree that some publishers should be holding the line and protecting the value of copyrights, there's a reasonable limit to how far you can push certain people when it comes to things like the value of one sync fee. And if the music supervisor has 500 bucks and they tell you that's all they have in the budget, they're probably not lying. That's literally all they have. Maybe you want to negotiate to 600. That's your game. Uh, if the extra hundred bucks is worth it and you think it's not going to kill the deal, go for it. Going to $5,000, probably going to kill the deal. Well, it definitely makes sense. Oh, that's, that's really good tips. I think, I think now is the perfect time to kind of just get into um some just some q a of just like what uh these guys have uh right in terms of questions um and we can we can kind of get them to ask specific questions that you know can really tailor to what they're um trying to get out of this uh conference even though that you guys obviously spit a, a whole bunch of gems within the last hour and uh, 20 minutes here so um, I guess, yeah, or just opening up the, uh, the floor to anyone that wants to write it in the chat or um, just ask the question if you want to just come off mute, it's up to you. Um, but yeah, let's get it rolling. Any questions? I think we had one in the chat. So we have one here that's what are the different fees the producer can get? I've heard of demo fees and final fees. So this is, um, I would say demo fees really, I mean, that's, that's really like a label term um, in the sync world. It does exist like demo fees do exist, especially if um, 
um, I would say probably more so for advertising where they're going to get you, you know, they want to hear some options. They've come to you. They want you to write some music for their commercial and to just write a demo, they're going to pay you a couple hundred bucks. And if the, if the creative agency says, yeah, we, we love it. Uh, then you're going to get paid a few thousand bucks, right? So they're giving you a little bit of money upfront for your time to make something. And those fees, uh, can really range. Um, depending on who you are and who you're dealing with. And then the final fee would be if they actually green light it and it's going to go and it's going to be the final song on the thing. So, uh, and it's the same, it, you know, in the artist world, it's like, you know, a producer fee, you guys all know this, um, could be anywhere from 500 bucks for a song and they can go up to, you know, 30,000 bucks a song when you're the, the, the big serious blue chip guys who, um, but I would say, you know, in Canada, often it's sort of ten to fifteen thousand dollars is is what a lot of really established producers are charging per track with three producer points on it. Um, and you know, early guys are kind of in the or sorry, mid guys are kind of in the two to five thousand dollar range per song, and then early guys are under two grand per song because you're just trying to get songs out there. I could be wrong, Jazz. You you have to back me up on that one. Uh, that's that's pretty much right even with empire when you're doing it you would get uh your demo fee or like let's say i had to book a studio last minute whatever um the singer or songwriter would get one fee and the producer would get one and then if that song was picked up for the character in the series then you would get your final lump sum fee because they're actually going to put it in the show it's going to be performed on tv and then it goes on their empire before they had the cds uh their little uh, what is it, the playlist on apple and spotify and everything so they're essentially buying your works as a work for hire. No different than if you were selling to Atlantic, Universal, name the label here, and you would just get a, up some, uh, a, a lump sum free of the upfront. And then obviously, yes, you would get your SOCAN or your publishing and everything on the back end. So that's, that's the majority. Other than that, then yeah, it's just your typical licensing fees. If you have finished songs, like you were saying, how much are they actually going to put it for the amount of usage? And then again, going back to the supervisor, what the budget is because if they have a for sure hard budget again do you want to do it and continue the relationship or do you want to like try to let me get that extra 50 cents because that's going to make the difference yeah and i guess also knowing um you know if you can't negotiate the fee i just want to quickly for anybody who's looking into licensing some of the sync terms that you're going to hear about and the main deal terms so your fee is obviously a big thing the use the use is something you're going to hear, and that's where the song is used, how long um, the song is used. So it might be we need 30 seconds of this song in a scene where the main character kills the other character. Like whatever that is, like that's that's the use. Or the use might be we're going to hear this song 23 times throughout seven episodes because it's going to be this character's favorite song and they're going to play it in their bedroom over and over and over again as a teenage girl and she's really mad at her parents and her favorite song like that. So there's your use. The term, how long does the deal last? Basically, how long do they have the right to use that song in their show? Obviously, digital media, you're going to, you know, typically TV used to be seven plus seven, something like that. So seven years plus a seven year option. And then if they go past that 14 years, they renegotiate. That would only really happen if the show, you guys have heard syndication. Um, the show, it used to be a big deal. So basically, if you had a show that went into syndication and got played on, you know, whatever CTV every night at 10 o'clock, um, that was a really big, 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 big deal. So you'd have to renegotiate then. But now 
uh, things live forever. So in perpetuity is, is usually a, a new standard that you hear more and more. They're going to license it and they get to use it for that scene, for that particular use. It's tied to that use because that show might live on YouTube for 300 years. Um, so they have to make it that. And then territory. Is it a worldwide license? Um, or is it just for like, and this is really to do with advertising. The territory means like if it's a product that's for a Canadian McDonald's, it's obviously only going to air in Canada. So you can often get uh, commercial uses or even TV stuff that happens in like some random country and no one you know is ever going to see the commercial because you're like, you know, I'm not going to do a diaper commercial for my song. But then it's like, it doesn't matter. It's this tiny small country and it's an adult diaper commercial and we're going to pay you 50 grand. Might as well do it. No one's ever going to see it unless they're vacationing there. So I have known a lot of artists who've done licenses for crazy uh, brands they don't like just because they're like, eh, out of sight, out of mind. And then, you know, these are things that you can negotiate your feet against the use, the term and the territory. And then the last thing to always understand is exclusivity. And you have to understand what exclusivity means. If it's blanket exclusivity, it means nobody else can ever use the song while that deal is active. And if it's specific exclusivity, it means you're licensing to this adult diaper commercial you cannot license this song to any other adult diapers, only this one. So you have to look at just like what that term is, uh, those terms are, and understand the, the overall license and what you're able to negotiate against. So maybe the money can't go up, but you're like, you can't have it forever. You can only have it for a one-year deal and then we have to renegotiate. And that's a great way. You know, if it, something's working, do a one-year deal and then say, I want to revisit this in one year. If the show blows up, let's, let's, you're going to have more money. Maybe the fee can go up. Maybe, maybe. To, to add on to what you said, if you're an artist that's scared of the, the 50,000 diaper money, you don't have to use your artist name. You could be like Diaper Jones for all you care. It's okay to have the stage name. At the end of the day, when the SoCan or the bank account, the money actually comes in, it's going to your bank account. So it doesn't matter. I've actually had this situation where we did like a, a hokey jingle for power where it was it's pretty much like always Tim Hortons, but the Starbucks variant for the show, because that's what one of the characters were doing. And the artist was petrified, like, yo, man, my branding is like, I'm this hardcore rapper. Like, I can't have that happen. So go give me a stage name. He's like, little pinky. I go, little pinky. It is. Let it be shown in the show that it's like that but he's so worried about his integrity. You don't have to use your actual artist name if you don't want it out. And if you're not going to re release it, like you're saying exclusivity in that show, unless you're watching that show and you know that that guy's voice is 100% that guy's, no one's going to know. Protect yourself if you want to, but don't be scared of the 50K. Don't do that. Yeah. And, and also when I first got into publishing and first got into sync, there was a lot of artists who were like, I'm not, you know, it's selling out is what people used to think. And I can honestly say, you know, and we've all been in this situation, you're watching TV at home, a commercial comes on and you hear like, is that? And it's some artist, you know, or that you see an actor from a show and who's in the commercial, like, you know, eating a burger and you're like, what? Uh, no one really cares anymore because everybody understands the economy of uh, music. And it's such that you have to basically really take the opportunities as they're presented to you in a responsible way in order to achieve longevity in your career. So have confidence knowing that, that, you know, don't turn on opportunities because you think it's cooler to do that. And don't accept opportunities just because you think it makes you look cool. 
that goes back to the publishing thing. Don't sign a shitty deal with a major company just because you're desperate to have their logo beside your name. It doesn't make a lick of difference to anybody else. When you tell your parents, hey, I signed this major label deal, maybe for five minutes, they're going to care. But when you haven't made money in six years and you can't get out of your deal, it's even worse. To add on to what he just said, even though I'm signed to BM, BMG, my parents will go ahead and tell everyone, he signed to a GMC. I think it's like a food, yeah. food store or something. Supplements. I'm like, I'm, like, supplements. Yeah. I'm glad I'm glad to have uh, that type of value. So yeah, it don't matter who you sign to. Your parents are still going to goof up the name telling other people. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah, no, uh, I don't see anyone. I don't think anyone should, t- should uh say no to 50k 100 percent um but especially because there's ways behind it so that is very interesting i never knew that that could happen as well um i guess we had another question inside of here as well um i think the first one was thoughts on music gateway i'm not familiar on that but are you guys uh i don't know i don't know what music gateway is so does neon gospel either want to unmute or uh just type yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I've never even heard of Music Gateway until I just literally read it. Oh, I just I just looked it up on Google. It's just a website for getting sync placements. I'll just post it in the chat. Okay. Um, you know, any company that's going to be a website that you um, put your music into their database, um, and, you know, I won't click this link and, and start reading it yet, uh, just so I can, I can sort of uh, remain focused here. Um, so there's going to be two types of companies. One that's going to be a catch-all. So it doesn't matter. Just upload your music here. We don't give a shit. Just up, upload it and all the metadata, which is again, all your uh, metadata means like basically all the, the, the facts of the song. Um, that kind of thing where it's a catch-all that they're just taking anybody's music and there's zero vetting process you have to wonder like, what is the ocean of music you're going into? And it, do you have any chance of getting anything out of that ocean? Any company that's gonna wanna have some sort of dialogue with you that has what's called an acquisitions department. So they wanna hear your songs and they wanna make sure that, you know, how many songs do you have? What's the quality of your songs? And how do these 20 songs you have fit with the 20,000 songs we're already representing? Are they exactly the same? Because that's gonna cannibalize other songs. Are they different? Do they offer something we don't have? These are questions that company is going to have to ask themselves. So um, when you're looking at a company, check out the other music on it, you know, reach out to them, talk to them. You know, if you can just upload your music, I don't know. I I mean, I guess so. Like CD baby, I know as a distribution platform, because we're talking about songs that are being released. Um, there is a button you can click when you're uploading your music for distribution to be like, I approve this for syncs. And so basically it's going to make it an easy, clear song. And by clicking that, you acknowledge that you understand that all rights are cleared and you're okay if somebody comes with whatever commercial and pays you 25 bucks. And that could work because a music supervisor could do that. And they do have music supervisors trying to pitch songs, but they're just searching. It's like, you know, searching iTunes at that point of songs, their own personal internal iTunes. Um, just do the research really you know what i mean like these can be great companies but if they're going to be exclusive that's the other thing like sometimes you're not allowed to have your music in any other library like that's the only sync agent you can have so be aware of that no that's 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 a good good advice there 100 
I, um, I, I guess that it kind of follow up on that same question. There is another question that's kind of like, it's called the, that pitch. I don't know if you guys ever heard of this one either. I think I've seen it before, but I think it kind of does, does the same thing. I think, yeah, again, it's just more of just trying to figure out um, doing your research on that specific company to kind of figure out if it makes sense for you. Yeah, and also like the, the, the deal, okay? So I, let's just say I am sinking songs and I like you as a writer and I say to you, hey, give me your 10 best songs. I'm gonna represent them. They're gonna be exclusive to me. I'm the only one who can pitch these songs. And if I get you a sync, I get 50% of the money. Okay. Now, honestly, the, and, and you can terminate the deal whenever you want, unless I'm, I'm currently negotiating a use for one of your songs, then you have to give me six months. That's the way these deals usually work. You can't just pull your music away. Cause what if I'm in the middle of, you know, just, I'm just about to get a sync. I'm like, you can't pull it away from me. Cause then you could just go on my back and do the sync without me and cut me out. So you know, maybe in that case, it's like, you know what, that's worth it. Because if I get 10 grand, 50% of 10 grand is way better than 100% of zero. That's step one. Number two, <laughs> if I say to you, okay, I'm going to get a sync. And if I get you a sync, I get 50% of the fee and 50% of the writer's share. That's another one. So some of these companies might want to start getting into your rights. They might want to start owning your writer's share, your publishing share, the master Got to look into that. You've got to figure that out. Is it a fee-based relationship or is it an IP ownership-based relationship? This is something you really, really need to know because the second they get you one sync and they own half of your song, every dollar you make on that song for the rest of time, they own it too. So a lot of people miss this for some reason, but you, you've got to be aware if you're doing deals with people, what are they taking? Honestly, 50% of a fee, again, might work for you. That's fine. Like, I don't have a problem with that for 90% of the songs that I've ever worked on that sit on hard drives. We do deals like that all the time. We're like, that's wicked. That's income. That's revenue. That's keeping us going. The second they want my IP, the deal's over. I don't give up IP unless you pay me for it. Yeah. To build on what you said about that pitch, whoever asked the question, it's like when you're in your phone, your phone listens and you talk about a mattress and you go to Instagram. And the first thing you see is that damn Andy mattress. When I talk about sinks, anytime I talk about sinks to a friend or we're just riding back and forth on Zoom, guaranteed that day on Instagram, you'll see that pitch on Twitter, that pitch. For some reason, that pitch and sinks are synonymous like beds and Andy. So I've seen the company. Uh, I clicked on the link that he was talking about Music Gateway. Literally what you said, upload your music, fast clears, upload your music, great sinks. And it gives you all the shows, but you look at the shows, uh, di Divorce of Girlfriends, my wife actually used to watch it. It's no longer. Back in 2018, it's off the market. There's a whole bunch of shows like Honey, way back when Jessica Alba was doing it in the 2000s. They got the placements. It's not that, but how current are those placements and what ongoing shows is that website showing? Because you can, again, you can use them. I'm sure they're doing great. Everyone pitches to multiple people, but how current are those show lines and are they continuing to do new work or are they falling on the on the on the whims of what they've done in the past not saying that they didn't make money but how active are they that's what it all comes down to yep you're muted, no. you're muted you're yeah talking. sorry <laughs> no i feel like that's that's always happening um yeah okay so we have another one and then um Adonzo, we'll get to your question right after i just want to get to shay's first uh, has there been a time 
uh, times an artist expected a song placement but ended up uh, being the, just the instrumental, uh, does that make a difference in placement, song versus instrumental? Has there been, sorry, I'm just gonna read the question again. Has there been yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> song placement but ended up, um, you would know well beforehand if it's like, cause I guess the, the situation you're talking about is you supply a song that you've done and an instrumental to somebody and they tell you they're gonna use the version with lyrics and they end up using the version without lyrics. Um, I mean, I'm sure that can happen because what happens with the sync world, especially in, well, in both TV and advertising, every show gets mixed, right? So when you submit your music, it's like all the audio for the show, meaning the score, the, you know, the compositions behind the, the scenes, the licenses, all the dialogue, all the ADR, which is the uh, voices that like, you know, when the actor has their back turned, they're not on mic, they have to redo all that in an ISO booth and all your sound effects, they all go into a studio and then there's a post mixer and you'll see this on every credit and the post team, they're basically mixing all the audio to make sure that it all sits really nicely because otherwise everything would be crazy levels, obviously. So theoretically, if they had the instrumental in their session and the vocal, they might pull, they might do edits to your song. They have that freedom. So they might shorten your song. They might cut out the intro. They might put a vocal, you don't know. They're, they do all sorts of stuff. And sometimes you can put a clause in there that says you cannot edit it. Uh, but most times, you know, you kind of got to roll with it, right? It's whatever works best for the scene. You got to understand and sync. It's, it, the song is so important, but you're, so is the visual and the dialogue in the show. Yeah, that helped a lot. I was always wondering about the whole mixing and how they would usually just take 10 seconds out of the whole song and that would kind of be your moment in your placement. So yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. It works, it works backwards. It's like if there's a scene and um, let's just say it's this, this really, fuck, I'm sorry guys, uh, sorry to swear, a Fast and the Furious kind of movie, right? And you got these two guys and they're having a dialogue and they're like, okay, we're going to go now. Are we going to get them? We're going to go do this. And they're going to go rob a bank or they're going to do whatever. And they're in their apartment and they're having this conversation. The music's kind of starting to come up and you know, some big kick-ass moments coming. Then they're going to walk to their car, slam the doors and peel out. And that's going to be the thing. That's the drop of the song. And then wherever the music comes back, you know, whenever the music starts in the scene, they're working backwards from that. So they need to make that fit. So if that moment exists of them walking to the car and it's 26 seconds long, but really the song takes a minute and 15 seconds to get to, they're just gonna cut it. They're just gonna edit it however they need to make sure the drop hits and the song comes in at the right point. They're just gonna do their own magic and the music supervisor is there usually in the room to be like, yeah, that's cool, that works. Um, and you may, the composer might even jump in and I'm sure uh, Jazz has had to deal with this where it's like, you know, I'm gonna, I gotta get in on this song and put a couple layers on it to help the song because the song, when you cut it up, it's just not working right. So sometimes you get these hybrids that happen and it's kind of cool because it, it works well. Yeah, to build on what you said. So uh, I think in January this year, they did their first ever NFL versus and they ended up using the song that I did for uh, an album that was a sync album for, for sports. And the artist got excited because he got the email saying, hey, we got your one clearance, just letting you know, debut night comes on all it is is the instrumental. So this guy's texting me like, yo, what the hell happened to my voice? And I go, well, they're doing a live versus talk show. Um, your voice would be getting in the way of like the four parties watching the clip and dissecting it. Now they use the whole instrumental through pretty much, it was a two hour show, probably about 
at least 48 minutes in between when they were not doing the clip part. So he got really upset and started blowing me up like, yo, like I stole my songs on there, da da da. I'm like, but you're still getting paid for the use of the instrumental. Once I said this, temperature cooled real down quick. I go, remember, I understand you might be disappointed. This is how they premiere it. We're still getting paid. And hey, me and you have to still work together. So if you mad today, just remember, we have all these things coming tomorrow. What's better? We it gets used and we both get paid or you're getting mad because they didn't use your lyrical part at this point and then you're having an ego. Come on, we got other shows to worry about. And in some situations, you have to massage that in that you think the sync is going to go this way. You watch it live and it's something completely else. But you have to, if it's a party that you're going to work with further in the future, that's sometimes the damage control you unfortunately have to do while it uh, showcases. Because sometimes we don't even know. It comes out and they've used it whatever way that fits their narrative and their show like you're saying. Yeah, the music is a support, right? And it still is your song. And maybe your voice is not it. And you're right, ego is probably, um, you know, flexibility and understanding the role of music in in picture is a big thing. Mm. That's uh, that's definitely a good point for sure. Um, Adonzo, did you want to come on and just uh, ask a question? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. I know nobody likes unsolicited emails right or anything like that i'm just wondering what's the best way to reach out to like um like music supervisors and everyone through like email instagram linkedin what's the best course of action you should take yeah i i think i have okay so i have a little bit of experience on all three levels of this um meaning i've been the guy who receives the emails i've worked with the artists and i've also worked for companies that have a catalog and we're trying to get our music into the music supervisors as well and i think you have to design your approach to people um holistically the entire thing think about it all think about your music think about how you're like if you just start blowing up their inbox and going on linkedin and just hitting them up 100 times a day and being on Twitter and flooding them, that that's not a good look. You know what I mean? Like they're, you're gonna be annoying and you're gonna look like spam. So I think if you do the research, if you're trying to build that relationship with somebody, find out where they're active. If they're really active on social media and they're on Instagram, great. Is it only pics of their kids? Not great. Cause obviously social media for them means family. Um, LinkedIn might be their business thing and maybe they're looking for opportunities on LinkedIn. And so maybe there's a polite way to say like, hey, can I send you some music? Would that be cool? And if they say sure, then all of a sudden they'll give you the email address. And then, you know, and like we talked about earlier, if you have those manners and you're well organized and how you're presenting your music and the music is good, hopefully that'll start to work for you. Sometimes it's a, it's a cold email and it's, the, it's like sales, man, it's sales. So you got to, you know, you hit a cold email. What's your frequency that you hit somebody? Is it three times a day? Or is it three times a week? Or is it three times a month? Design those things. And also visually, how do you present yourself? What does it look like? You know, if you're, if you have a link, because all your songs live somewhere like a disco, what's that disco playlist look like? What's your best foot forward? Think of these relationships. It's like, if you were, you're, you're trying to get a job, basically, you're trying to build this relationship. You're trying to do these things. Like you need to consider all of this. And so I would just say like, um, if it's gonna be a specific person you're targeting, research them a little bit, see what they like, see what shows they do. 
and then figure out, you know, go with your gut and your instinct. And if they ignore you over and over again, listen, it's like social circles. We all have people in our lives who are like, you know, you're always hitting up on email and you're like, yo, you want to get a coffee? You want to go get a drink? And they're like, yeah, totally. And then you can push and say like, how about next Tuesday? And they're like, ah, a little busy next week, but totally got to make time for that soon. If they keep saying we got to make time for that soon and they say it 10 times to you in a row, you're probably never going to get a coffee with them. Let it go. Let them come to you. Don't worry about it. And it's the same with music supervisors. It's like, if they're not responding, move on. There's uh, so many out there. So, you know, I would say go with your gut, do your research, present yourself really well. And if it's not working out, don't worry about it and cut your losses and don't take it personally. Okay, thank you. Dope. Um, Sorry, my I wanted to get one question in quickly from what you actually just said there about, um, you know, messaging people not to get personally if they don't respond to you. One thing I've wondered is, say you message someone, of course, you never want to do a cold message, right? You try to message someone and things don't go well. Would you, and it might sound like an obvious question, but do you think that's where you just kind of want to cut the attempt? at the expense of they're going to remember you and think to themselves, I don't want to work with this guy again. I've tried working with this person before. I don't want to. So I guess number one, to, to say the first thing, like sometimes you have to cold email people and everybody does like understand that, that everybody does. It's the, the frequency of how often you do it or the, the approach you take or how you design it that differs but even top companies and top executives in every industry, there comes a time where you're like, oh, we should totally talk to that company. Uh, anybody have a relationship? No? Okay, I'm going to go and I'm just going to email them. I'm going to find a, like, I, I do that all the time. And you just find a contact on the website and email. And you're like, hi, I don't know if this is going to the right person, but I just wanted to reach out because I have some questions. Maybe they get back, maybe they don't follow up, whatever you got to do. So don't be afraid of the cold, the cold reach. Second, I don't know what you mean by if it didn't go well, because you said, you know, you have a thing, it doesn't go well. Do you have to cut then? What do you mean by didn't go well? So let's say send them an email and they don't respond, right? But I see another opportunity a year later, right? Should I try? Or let's even use the second example of, let's say the first time I messaged, I did get through and they said, hey, send us something. I send them something. I hear nothing back. Year later, I see another opportunity. Should I try again? Yeah. Why not? Mm. A year First might be even all. too long. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, like, listen, if they don't get back to you, then, you know, your frequency one year between emails isn't, it, you, it's, it, it might be too long. Um, you're going to have to refresh them all again. But even if, honestly, you make some music, you do a cold reach, they accept that you're going to send them music. You send them music and they say, you know, we appreciate it. However, um, not doesn't fit our projects right now. Thank you very much. And then they have another, maybe they have another, first of all, they might have another project that it could fit for later on down the road. So that's one thing. And number two, let's say it's the same project a year later and you've been working for that one year and you've improved and the music you're making and the stuff you're doing is better or it's you know, a, a, a vast array of genre from where you were before, AI, people, people get better. You know? And it's just like we were saying, like 
Wonder Girl getting into Jazz's DMs and him not paying attention to her. Then five months later, she's on the cover of Billboard. It's like, well, and every, every single, every person in this business, and you'll all have it. I'm, I'm telling you, when you're older, you're all going to have a story that you're telling your grandkids being like, ah, oh, yeah, I got an email from this person. And I said, no, because I thought it was garbage. And the next thing I know, it was the biggest thing in the world. Like, it's just, that's the nature of the business. People come up all the time and do crazy things. You just, that's just the way it is. So yeah, no, you improve, you get better, you grow. And so you got to keep reaching out to people because you're getting better all the time. You don't stay in one place. So be confident. Yeah. To, to build on what he said, get used to getting no's and get used to even resubmitting stuff. I've had one situation that literally happened last week. I did something in season six of Empire that didn't work at the time. Lee Daniels changed his mind. Cool. And I asked them before I sent it over to Swagger, the show about Kevin Durant that's coming out in about a month. And I go, hey, you don't mind if I send this demo over there? He's like, unless I bought it, it's your problem. I literally send the same demo, same work that I did back in 2018 over here in 20, 2021 on a new show that Lee's working on. And he goes, yeah, this is perfect. How come you never sent this for Empire? Now, I did. I shake my head a little bit because he forgot. But again, like he's saying, you got to think of every single day. I can't tell you a single email that stood out to me in 2018 that I can remember from 2011 or sorry, 2021. Sometimes you have to resubmit twice. I've had this even with artists where you submit it at the beginning of their album cycle. Ah, this doesn't work. And when album's closing, I send the same beat. Yo, you stupid, man. How come you didn't send this to me before? What are you doing? They're not going to remember every beat. But if you don't get used to sometimes no means no for them, fine. Don't be scared. If you really believe it fits the literally looking for uh, a gospel hip hop record and you know you got it and it's the same thing you sent before if you don't send it before or if you don't send it again in that moment you're really only stopping yourself because you won't know if he says no again the second time onto another record but if it worked perfectly in the situations that i'm speaking of i mean you don't have to do any more work you've already done it you're just saying hey repurpose for this situation over here you got to get used to that same with albums you know if you make 300 type of beats for one project when people are starting to look for a sync and you already done 50% of the work, start getting some full songs on them and having some reusability because otherwise you just make an instrumentals for fun, which I don't mind, but at some point I would like to see it be heard and go somewhere. And it, 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 it all depends on trends as well. And again, in media, this is a like trend. What's on trend is everything. It's the same in food. It's the same, like, let's say, um, you know, it, it, it's never good for the first of anything you know what i mean like when you're the first um i'm trying to think of like a trendy food thing in toronto like bubble tea when you're the first bubble tea place if nobody knows what it is nobody cares about it when there's a million bubble tea places and you open one up you have a better chance of being successful in tv it's the same thing it's like if you have a show about wizards and you pitch it to all the networks and nobody cares about your wizard show and then all of a sudden Harry Potter comes out three years later and everybody cares about wizards. All of a sudden you have a great wizard show idea. You're going to go back to all the networks going, holy shit, wizards are hot. And boom, I've already done the work. And they're going to be like, amazing. We're looking for wizard projects right now and you're front of line. So it's all about trend and music's the same way. Song, you know, things change really fast. Yeah, th those are those are really great points as well. We'll probably um, have time for for one more question, um, just in case anyone had one more question and trying to get into. Time has flown by. 
are music supervisors the best way to get noticed when you're just getting started? That's right, fingers when you're just getting started. Um, who uh, are music? I don't like the best thing if you're just getting started as a producer and uh, an artist. Are you saying that you should go to music supervisors before you go to what else? Like, I'm, I, the best way to get noticed versus what? I guess is the question. Um, and I'll and I'll wait for you to respond to that, or you can get off mute if you want, uh, Saul. No. Um, okay, I don't I don't necessarily understand the question. Uh, when you're just getting started, I think focusing on your music and making sure that you have a great package, um, meaning all the things we've talked about on this call, so your rights and your presentation and your email and all that kind of stuff. That's number one. And then number two, if you're going to start to build relationships, then sure, music supervisors, and then also sync agencies and the companies that represent catalogs, great people to talk to as well. But sync music supervisors in the sync world for television, especially, they're the gatekeepers. So be aware of that. Dope, 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 dope. Sweet guys. Well, I feel like this is a, a good place to wrap it up. Um, I feel like there's a lot of like overwhelming information. I feel like, well, not well, overwhelming for me. Like <laughs> it was like overwhelming for me. But it's going to be good because I think a lot of the people are going to be going back on this recording when we send it out to everyone. They're going to be able to kind of dissect it a little bit more. That way they can um, take little little things that they might have not have heard this time and then just kind of apply it to um, to to themselves when they when they get time to look at it again and kind of take a little bit more notes as they watch the video pause or whatever they have to do because there's just so so many things and so many things I just want to write in the chat but I'm like I keep forgetting it's recorded but really appreciate you guys you know taking the time to like you know talk about talk about these with uh, talk about this with these uh, upcoming producers and artists that are really just looking to get more information about how to get into this world and you guys definitely uh, definitely provided that information so uh, I really want to like thank you guys for for again taking the time and and uh, giving everyone the information it was really valuable right on well thank you everybody for listening um and uh and i hope you 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 were able to pull some knowledge from this and i i wish you good luck on everything um you know yeah i think the 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 world of music sync is opening up in a way like we've never seen before and i think that music and the way that it connects to people um is entering an era that's going to be as, as some other people I know have said, the most prosperous era for the songwriters and producers and artists that we have ever seen. And it's because that direct connection and that emotional response, it's getting easier and easier and easier with all the platforms in a digital world to be able to connect. And I think that music supervision is just gonna be another avenue to get music out there and it's gonna be a new form of distribution. So this is an exciting time. And I know you guys are all just getting into it. Do the research get your education, make great music, and you're going to have a good time. Facts. Amazing. And uh, Jazz, do you have any last closing words you want to say to the people? And then we'll let them go. Um, getting back to one of the questions earlier, don't be afraid to reach out. Again, if you don't start taking some confidence and start taking your own responsibility for your own career, 
it don't matter if you got an entertainment lawyer, a manager, a yes man, and everything in behind you. You still got to put in the work, revise, keep learning, and just keep trying to ramp up your 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 palette of music. Like you can't just be ignorant and be like, okay, I'm gonna make hip hop and that's all I listen to. Cool. One day you might have to listen to some chill hop, or you might have to understand R and B, you might have to understand country or a whole different other genre. You gotta just keep learning. And uh, the one thing I've I've just continued to carry on that I've learned from a lot. It doesn't matter your age, as long as you're willing to learn, you'll never ever stop your growth. But the day you think like back to the wizard thing i'm harry potter i'm the ultimate wizard i know all i hate to tell you but uh, eventually wizards go out of trend and if that's all you know i'm sorry <laughs> i only do wizards i only do wizards <laughs> music. That's big, big wizard guy <laughs> no that's fantastic oh man that, that's great closing words guys really appreciate it um yeah, man, I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really, I'm really excited for everyone in here to just kind of get started on the, on this kind of journey and just kind of see what, what can come from it. And you know, um, they should be giving you guys like five percent of royalties moving forward if they land anything, right? I think that's well, I think everybody did <laughs> get that. Um, they, there was a quick <laughs> button that you pushed. It said test audio, and it also there was a quick terms and conditions. So, yeah, we talked about ownership IP transfer, so it's all good. Register on spot. And if you have your full set of hair, that's the first thing that goes on the sacrifice. Sorry, by clicking yeah. that uh, accepts. Yeah, it's gone. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. Oh man, thanks guys again. Appreciate it. Um, for those that are staying with us, we are moving into the um the manager's room, uh, the manager talk up next with Mauricio, um, Melody and, uh, Tom, and we're going to have a chat over there. That, that'll start at 4:45. So, uh, we'll see you guys over there again. Appreciate you guys. And, uh, yeah, man, we'll see you guys soon. Well, cool. thank you everybody. All right. See you guys. Yeah, I appreciate everything. Take it easy. Uh, yeah, no worries, man. See ya. Okay. Let's have to save this recording. Where's Amber?